This special edition of Adoption, Fostering and Tea was recorded by New Family Social at our summer camp. It's been recorded as part of National Adoption Week. If you'd like to find out more about National Adoption Week, visit www.youcanadopt.co.uk. You're listening to Adoption, Fostering and Tea from the UK's LGBT plus adoption and fostering charity, New Family Social. Find us at newfamilysocial.org.uk. I'm Tor, and this week I'm going to be having a cup of tea with Ian and talking about when problems feel personal. Hi Ian, thank you for joining me. Hi Tor. Hi Ian. That's exciting. It is exciting. Now we're recording a whole series at camp, so how are you enjoying camp? I love this place. I think it's camping is always a bit of an effort because we're camping, let's yeah. be real. All right, I'm not camping, but still. <laughs> Um, but I love it here and it's something that both of my children really look forward to and it's just, I love it. It's excellent. Yeah. So we've been coming for a long time now. You are wearing the whitest white t-shirt. I don't know how you keep so clean at camp. I think you're secretly in a five-star hotel. <laughs> okay, so what we were going to talk about really um, was around when problems kick in as they do for lots of us and how we all cope with that. But to set context for that, can you tell me about a bit about yourself and your family when you adopted, how that was and so on? Uh, yeah, certainly. So um, I've been with my partner a long time. Uh, we've got two um, adopted uh, children. So my partner is called John and uh, my two children, uh, Rory and Jeff. We adopted them separately, about three years apart. And they've been with us a long time. I think our oldest now has been with us almost 10 years. And our youngest one, it still feels new, even though it's not. So about four years. Okay. So, yeah, both completely different. And how old are they now? Uh, so the eldest is 12 and the youngest is 10. Nice. And we adopted the oldest when he was three. And uh, Jeff, he came to live with us when he was almost five. Right, okay. And they were not siblings to each other, were they all half-siblings? You did the whole process twice. That was a joy. I bet it was, yeah. <laughs> uh, yeah, we did the whole process twice. I think the first time we felt grateful to go through the process, mm. like it was the first time we were being assessed. And then the second time, we found it quite arduous because we knew exactly what to expect. And we were a bit more clued up then around what a good assessment process should look like and what when a social worker should be doing something and they've forgotten or they didn't. And so we we found the second time quite uh, long, actually, yes. process. Yeah, I understand that. And also, I guess the first time you adopted, it was still fairly new that gay couples were adopting. And so, you know, maybe you felt grateful for some of those reasons as well, to be allowed to do it. Maybe a couple of years later than that, you were sort of thinking... I know this is a two-way street. I know that they benefit as well. You know, the system benefits from having you. Oh, definitely. I mean, actually, the first time there wasn't processes. We were asked a question around how would we feel if our adopted child turned out to be gay. That was part. <laughs> that was part of the assessment process. Do you think you would be okay? I think I was. Okay. I was going to be okay. You would struggle through somehow. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And even the paperwork referred to my partner as her mm. or she. Adoption has moved on a lot, mm. actually, in all the best ways. It's a lot quicker now, um, or it should be. COVID has got in the way, I think, yes. um, for other people that are going through that process at the moment. So I think, actually, it's still difficult, 
but it's a, I still think it's, it's I think it's easier. I think yes. the, the impact that NFS has played in shaping policy and advising um, different agencies and professionals means that it as a concept has moved forward. And I can see that through my friends that have adopted after we did, which is great to see. Yes, absolutely. And so you're obviously now, you know, you've had your kids with you quite a long time. And I guess we all hit bumps in the road. Can you talk to me a little bit about that and also how you've been coping with those things? Yeah, I mean, I think the interesting thing around our first adopted child was that um, Rory was very dependent on us. And actually, that made it very easy to kind of provide him his basic essential needs and and form attachments, because any scrape, any bump, any piece of food that needed cutting up, there was a helplessness there from him, because he was over-reliant on us. And that was kind of described around his attachment disorder, actually. It was an over-reliance on his primary caregivers. Um, But we actually found that quite hard, because actually, you, you know when mums joke about kind of like going to the toilet for a break, that's what it felt like. Yes. You know, he'd be outside and we lived in a three-story townhouse at the time. And it literally was, if we were on a different floor, i.e. between the kitchen and the living room, yes, he'd, he'd feel stressed because right. he wasn't inside. And so for the first time, we were finding it really difficult to try and provide the right level of support. And during that time, uh, the local authority helped us with an educational psychologist, which we felt had a bit of an instant reaction to. Do we need this? Are we seeing a shrink? Mm. But actually was one of the most beneficial things that we've ever taken part in, in a sense of that we just attended sessions to talk about parenting. Yes. Like, and, and what was going on. And... Uh, we only had about three or four sessions over three or four months, but we learned some really great tools around kind of like reflecting on what was happening in that moment when our son was upset or, you know, feeling stressed or having a tantrum, but talking about through the problem and actually gaining a sense of perspective. Yes. The sessions always started with talking about the last month in terms of actually what's gone really well. And it was a really great question because it's like we've never been asked that question before. And we certainly didn't talk about that when we went out for a sneaky dinner where yes. my mum and dad had babysat. It was almost like, oh, you know, we're worried about this or we're worried about that. And so I had to have to be prompted to talk about, oh, that bit's going really, really well. And what was really surprising about that actually was we had a chunk of sessions sort of for three or four months and then we had a bit of a break and then we had a, a, another set of sessions almost six months later with the same um, educational psychologist and um, she was able to say to us oh that thing that you spoke about before is that is, is, are you st- is that still going on and, um, and and what she was referring to was leaving the living room and going down to the kitchen yes. and we were able to say well, actually, no, we're not, actually. It's yes. no longer a problem. But we hadn't realised that. Yes. We were, we'd moved on to another tranche yes. of things <laughs> that we were worried about. And so I think it, what's interesting about NFS Camp is you meet all sorts of people that are experienced parents, uh, newly adopted parents that are parenting for the last three months. It's yes. all very new for them. And my advice in any given situation, even the advice that I take myself is where and how do you take time out to gain perspective and how do you 
really look at some of the successes that you're doing and there will be it doesn't matter who you are there will be things that are going really well at the time our son uh rory would only eat jam sandwiches yes it became a joke at the time the social workers had actually said look pick your battle this isn't important yes he's getting nutrition but he'd live with us for like a year and we still we'd moved from jam sandwiches to dry pasta yes. and it was stressing us out because yes. other people then were actually saying why do you why does your son have such a narrow diet yeah and the educational psychologist really wrapped it up in well actually you've done a lot it's not just uh, dry pasta it's carrot sticks and it's this and it's that you've done a, a marvelous job job and so yeah I, I'm I, I find it weird that we had to remind ourselves to have a talk about the things that we're doing really well. I but find I, that a foreign concept. I understand that completely. And I think that that perspective is really useful. And also sometimes a problem resolves and you realise that you didn't resolve it. Nothing that you did made that difference. Just the passage of time made that difference. And I think sometimes when nothing else is working, just reminding yourself that sometimes doing nothing also solves it you know that it will eventually just solve and I've always found that quite reassuring if we feel a little bit stuck on something that maybe time maybe six months from now this isn't going to be happening anymore yeah and it's interesting because it is easy to take it personally and sometimes different things I mean whether someone eats a jam sandwich maybe not but there'll be things that are actually happening in, and it's it's sometimes it's quite easy to actually think well they're doing this despite you to, to kind of like annoy you and actually in some cases that is actually going on yes <laughs> and that's kind of and it and it's very easy to kind of like get into situations where you know with both our children actually where they're feeling controlled in whatever way whether that's the getting to school you know and get dressed and so you'll say put your shoes on but like, I don't want to put my shoes on and so their way of gaining control on that is to put their shoes on you know the wrong feet yes because there's a win there for them in that and it can be incredibly frustrating when you just want to get out the door and it can feel really personal like they're doing it to to spite you but it's not that and no. I, yeah but I know but I, I understand what you mean it can some of it can be quite wearing and you don't really understand what the motivation is so it ends up feeling like it's to guess at you how did you cope with that um, I think we found that harder with our subsequent adopted child. So when I think about Jeff, uh, Jeff has some additional needs. So, so his attachment difficulties were, I think, described as ambivalent mm-hmm. attachment disorder. And so I'm not a psychologist. I might be presenting this probably not in the right way. But my understanding of that is he is quite self-sufficient. And so what how that presents to us is... When he fell, when he fell over, a securely attached child might open their arms out to their primary caregiver and say, "Give me a hug." Whereas Jeff felt embarrassed or angry, and he wouldn't come to us mm. for that nurture. It was a bit like, "I don't need you to fix this. I'm okay, thanks." And that can be really hard when you've scraped your knees getting out of a swimming pool, and it really hurts. And we've all scraped our shins before, yes. and that, that does hurt. And so then he swam into the centre of the swimming pool, having a tantrum, and all you want to do is help him, but he doesn't want that help, but he does want that help. Yes. And it can feel really personal, because it's a bit like, why don't you want me to help you in this situation? He knows that I know that I've not caused this. It's not like I've pushed him or yes. whatever. He's just crawled out of the swimming pool and he scraped his shins. And it can be very easy to think, that actually, well, 
you know, why should I bother then doing, why should I try and even try and help you because you don't want my help. But it, again, it, it comes back around to the first thing, which is there's, there's nothing you're doing that's caused that. The passage of time will fix that. Yes. Attachment takes ages, you know, and, and I was having a conversation with someone yesterday that with both our children, it, it felt like for us, that it, it took about three years for things to kind of settle down into routines and, and things like that. And so back to your original question, which is around how do we deal with that? It, it sounds a bit of a cliche, but it's taking time for yourself and having a conversation. And also um, it's very easy to actually criticise your partner and saying, oh, you shouldn't have said that. That's actually triggered that situation. That's why he's behaved in that way but one of the things that can be really helpful is to actually catch you catch it when your partner does something that's actually either to the plan or or really good so it might be that you have a, a particular course of action that has been recommended by a social worker or a particular behavioral technique when your partner does that to actually catch them doing it and saying actually you did a really good job there you might not have got the ending that you wanted or it didn't get the desired result but I think that can be really helpful and that's you know that's all about you know us being one solid team and so yeah it's just taking time time out i think the other um thing is taking time for yourselves and one of the um any parent or prospective uh, adopted a foster parent through an assessment process experience lots of questions about your support network yes lots yes <laughs> and it makes sense during the assessment process about why that is, but there's a difference between a, 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 a theoretical yes. support network and actually what you do to really utilise that. And so making sure, it's so cliched, isn't it? Making sure that you have time for yourself, you know, going out for dinner, asking your parents if you can to babysit, asking for a friend for an hour so you can pop out for coffee. But more importantly, during that time is trying to keep the conversation in the right space. Yes, I think that's a really, really good point because it can be tempted to be sucked down this spiral of either negativity, as you say, or if it's somebody who isn't that aware, it can start to feel quite judgmental you know, what you should do is X, you know, what you should try is Y, you know, maybe if your child will only eat jam sandwiches, you should try giving them cheese sandwiches. And you end up feeling like you're on the back foot to being defensive if they aren't really on that same page. Yeah, certainly. And actually, when I, I don't know if I could share with you some of the things that our youngest has called us you know like name calling on this podcast because it would be <laughs> <laughs> that's your call if you would like yeah. to it's fine but yes I understand and it can be really hurtful mm. but actually we both recognize in that moment of kind of outside of the situation that he is just trying to upset you and it can be about pain can't it it can be that what they're actually saying is I am in an immense amount of pain and I'm not going to now bring you into this pain by hurting you so that we're in this pain together, you know? And I think it's hard to receive that, but it sort of is, I need somebody else to be in pain like I am, you know? Yeah, absolutely. And it's also about control. Yes. Because actually, if I take your PlayStation away from you, mm. because you've played on it just too long today, yes. and you're upset by that, you'll want to regain control in that situation somehow. And the way that you can do that is gaining control of the conversation that we're having right now. Yes. And that can, that can include name calling and things like that. One of the most useful pieces of advice that the post-adoption support team that we're currently working with gave us 
was when your child says to you, I hate you, the normal response is, no, you don't, or don't be so silly, or whatever. But actually, they said to us, it's to acknowledge and to make that okay. And for us, it was like someone actually had to tell us to say that for us to for that that penny to drop. And so when Jeff had said, I really hate you, get out of my life, you're not my real dad. Mm. It took every part of my kind of fibre to kind of say, it's okay that you hate me right now. And it's okay for you to think that I'm, I'm not your biological father. Talk me through why you're, why you're angry with me right now. And for us, it kind of changed the dialogue. That's interesting. So we'd always moved away from kind of like, you want to help your child by telling them it's okay, or it will be, be- it will be better. You don't have to worry about that. Or I will, I will solve that for you, or I will fix that for you. But actually, one of the pieces of advice that the post-option support team said was, there's a step before that, which is acknowledging the feelings that, that, that your sons have even if you perceive them to be misplaced. Yes. Because it's very real for them. Yes. And so actually, when he's saying to you, I hate you, get out of my life, which he said many times, mm. he's also a loving child as well. <laughs> no, I'm so, Yeah. <laughs> he says some lovely things too. Is to actually say, it's okay to hate me right now. Yes. And I think what you're upset about is I've taken your PlayStation away from you and that you want to carry on playing on your PlayStation. and it can be really useful to kind of like label some of those emotions. Yes. Yeah. But it can feel really personal. Yeah, yeah. I agree with that completely. <laughs> so um, in terms of you and your relationship, and you said that, it, you know, it, it's been difficult at points and it's sometimes easy to spot what your partner does in quotes wrong rather than what they do right and stuff. Has it ever put that under strain or have you managed to remain solid throughout? Well, that's an interesting one. I feel like I've got like, free reign now it's because my <laughs> partner isn't actually here. Exactly. You can say, um, and you like him on Thursday night after. Absolutely. And then publish it on the internet. <laughs> <laughs> I think we've both found it really hard. I There was a moment about a year ago that we were finding it really hard and we were... St- we weren't taking the advice that I'm sharing now. So actually all the questions you're asking about, you know, how how do you make that happen has come from kind of like reflection or making sure that we're doing the thing that we think is going to work. But there is, there's an easy trap to fall into where you're, you're spending so much time in trying to fix whatever perceived problems exist with behavior or situations or school, but you also have to take time for each other. Yes. And it's really important because in any given situation, you will always handle that situation different from your partner, always. Mm-hmm. Even if you're following the same process or the same guide or advice, and you might walk away from that situation thinking, I might not have said it quite like that or or whatever. I think, the I, it, I've re, I'm repeating myself, but it's really important that you catch when someone does something really well. Yes. It's really important, even if actually it doesn't get the result that you want, is to actually said you've that your your son has kicked off, they've had a tantrum, it was publicly in the middle of a supermarket, they told you they hated you and that they wish they lived back with their foster carer and you were really embarrassed. But in that situation, you followed the advice and guidance that was given by 
professionals that you're working with and actually you did a good job even though you didn't get the result that you wanted I think that's really really important because you're propping up your your partner and actually saying you know you 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 get you know you get points for trying type of thing and that advice applies for young children why shouldn't it apply for adults yeah that's a really nice thought actually you probably need to tread as gently really in some ways and be as acknowledging of effort feelings feelings underneath other feelings and so on yeah I agree the other thing I would say is that there's a, a weird thing that was pointed out to us recently around when you're children have a tantrum or they're triggered by something and for me it was last year I parked in the wrong place at school Mm. and um, Jeff had a massive meltdown I wasn't parked in the right place I couldn't park in the place that we normally park for him it's about rigidity and routine and so we had to walk slightly different into school and it kind of phased him and things like that there's an expectation from parents sometimes that he needs to get over that yes so it's in like, you know, right, okay, you're trying to hurry that kind of like situation along to get him in a good place to get him into school. And that's right. Interestingly, though, when your son or daughter says to you, I really, really hate you, and they say things that are really, really hurtful, and yet weirdly, you carry that for the same amount of time. And we place those expectations on our children to kind of get over situations, to try and educate them. But actually, we've got to take our own advice as well, that sometimes we have to just let go of those things. That thing that you were triggered by because your son or daughter publicly called you a name or something, and then two days later, you can't believe... Actually, what I'm talking about here is, is my youngest son hurt my eldest. Mm -hmm and scraped the side of his face with his nails and had claw marks. It made me very, very angry. It was unprovoked. My older son, Rory, was really, really upset. Jeff had basically lashed out at him, and I couldn't actually believe it had happened. And then within about nine minutes, Jeff was like, anyway, love you, can I play on PlayStation now? And you're like, I'm not actually ready to kind of move on from this. But weirdly, my expectation is in all the other situations that he moves on and he should let go of the fact that I've not uh, parked in the right parking space. And so sometimes it can be really useful just to realise what what you're carrying. It feels really personal. And perspective, Mm. I think, and proportionality is 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 the thing that you've got to find. Yeah, and I, I like what you're saying about... I don't know that it's worth necessarily running it through, running any of their concerns and issues through a filter of should they feel like this, because they do. So it's almost like a phobia. You know, somebody's scared of spiders or moths or whatever. That's ridiculous. We all know it's ridiculous. And yet for people who feel that, it feels profound and real. And you aren't going to talk them down from not going in the room where the spider is. You're not going to, because it's huge to them. And I think sometimes accepting that this is just big because it's big. It's big to the child. That's it. And now you deal with it like it's a big thing. You know, it's a big upset. And so like the parking space thing, I can understand, you know, how the temptation to say, this is ridiculous. You know, it's only a bit further up the road. It doesn't matter. The sort of peer pressure to deal with it in a way that makes it go away and so on. But it's big because it's big. So now let's deal with it like a big thing and let's do reassurance because a big thing has just happened, even if we can't understand it. And I know also... That's what we should do. And I know that on that morning at three minutes past nine when you're already late and you're already late for work as well and all of that's ticking, sometimes being therapeutic isn't that easy. No, it's not. And then sometimes sometimes 
you've got to try and fix it and sometimes you've got to fix it long term and sometimes you've just got to fix it for now yes you know and actually all parents understand that as yeah, well bribery the bribery route yeah yeah absolutely and distraction yes <laughs> Yeah. These are top parenting strategies. So tell me what your support network looks like, because you talked about how much we're pushed to have one. Who is that for you? And is it who you thought it would be? Um, absolutely not. No, so would no. they. <laughs> so the people that I put down in my kind of assessment aren't the people that, and that's not because it's wrong or right, it's just the way that life works. Most of our parents, sorry, most of our friends are NFS people mm. actually now. Um, which is great. There's like a kind of understanding when we visit other kind of NFS members and parents for the weekend because we've met at camp and then we meet up in the year and go out for dinner or whatever, that there's an acknowledgement and an understanding about what it might be to have a son that has ADHD or attachment difficulties or whatever. And so there's a wider bandwidth or tolerance, which is always nice. My parents have found it hard. I thought I'd get more support from them. Uh, my partner's parents are amazing. They are very generous with their time. And so support from friends that don't have kids that support me individually to give myself kind of like the non-parent version of myself so I can go out with a friend and have chew the fat over coffee or yes. whatever and just not be a parent for a second yes. is really important for people through NFS around like talking stuff through and actually that's where I get sometimes gets perspective from when you're talking through a particular problem and you're trying to work out one view of the world is we're all a sum of our childhood you know what part of someone's early poor start has contributed towards that and sometimes the answer is no it's nothing to do with that that's just being a nine-year-old boy <laughs> and sometimes it's really useful to kind of get that and yeah friends parents and nfs peeps oh, that's really nice to hear and uh I'm just interested as well, you know, we, we've obviously talked through some of the really difficult bits and you touched earlier on, but my kids do some lovely bits. And I think it might be nice to just talk about that because when I first came to adoption, I was thinking these kids sound unparentable. This sounds like an unrelenting nightmare. I don't want to do it. And actually it so isn't. And I just wonder if it's worth acknowledging some of the lovely stuff about your boys who are also delights. Oh, they are absolutely. And they're so completely different as well. Um, they one is kind of obsessed with tennis and that's something that I share with him and we were able to do that through lockdown actually just go to a tennis court because it didn't involve being with other people and stuff like that he's quite sensitive and really isn't into kind of like performing arts and being overtly extroverted or anything girly or pink or anything like that he's he is so kind of like sporty and and makes friends with people very very easily uh, and really empathetic as well like he'll know when you're having a bad day or come up to you and say are you okay can I make you a coffee what I should say is that making coffee in our house is pressing a button on a coffee machine <laughs> so uh, but the gesture the is, is lovely <laughs> Um, and then our youngest is extroverted, loves to sing in the shower, currently plays uh, rugby, creative, loves to draw, takes himself off to his bedroom every now and again, not often, and will we'll draw something or draw a, a picture of his fam us, us as a family, which is lovely. Um, and it's funny, really, really funny. He used to be obsessed with Doctor Who and Star Wars, 
loves dressing up. Um, any dress up day is kind of like a mixture of about nine different outfits. <laughs> it's unrecognizable, <laughs> but in his head makes complete sense. Yes. <laughs> and um, is wonderful. And what I'd say is, it's, it's you know, I, I said it before, for us as a family, it's kind of taken three years for them to know that we'll always be there. Yes. And um, that is now our family unit. And even though you tell them that, maybe deep down they don't believe it. But, you know, four years in for our youngest, um, things are pretty good at the moment. Actually, you know, taking our own advice, conversation that um, myself and my partner had said, we've really enjoyed this last year. COVID for us has been actually a very different experience to most other people. No one enjoys homeschooling, so let's not pretend that's been a joy. No, it really, really didn't be a joy, did it? <laughs> yeah. Um, but in terms of other things, uh, that's been really great. Yes. Was there something about the homeschooling that what calmed life down? Uh, not the homeschooling itself, but perhaps the being at home. Was there something that suited the boys about that? Well, I mean, interestingly, our youngest one, we actually found homeschooling really, really hard. But what it meant was, was that we had to kind of like dial up the social experiences for them, because not only they were missing out on kind of classroom education during the first lockdown, we, it's weird, isn't it? I mean, this must have affected everyone, that you forget the different periods that there was a moment where we could only go out for an hour a day. And we forget that. Yeah, completely. It feels like an absolute blur, the whole yeah. thing. And so when we went out, and when we went out for our one hour a day, we went out for, we went out for a walk. Yes. And it was lovely. Yes. And weirdly, we ended up spending more time together, played board games, you know. And actually, even now, there's a new kind of like routine that is we seem to have stuck with, which is a couple of times a week, we don't read before bedtime. Shush. Um, <laughs> and I play, we play drafts. Yes. And he's in his pyjamas because we just seem to pick up that as a as a thing. And I do that with uh, Jeff, our youngest. Don't really do it with my oldest. Um, and that's lovely. So, yeah, we've just, we've just come up with some new routines and, and new, new ways of spending time together that we really enjoy. That sounds really lovely. And so if somebody is in the midst of some of these difficult times, what would your advice be? My advice is take time for yourself. Do not, for a second pause to ask for help there's a post-option support team there's loads of people within fs that can help whether that's through calling them directly or even through their their forums and, and things like that you can guarantee almost that someone will have got some good advice to share or even had a similar problem that you're experiencing i think the mistake that we made sometimes is that we held on to a problem as being unique and as and we delayed in seeking help and actually the help that we got over the last sort of like nine ten years has been really helpful and we wish we'd just got it earlier if you're ever offered the support of an educational psychologist to just spend some time as a couple or individually as well in terms of reflecting as a parent i am denied over that a little bit like what does that mean then if you need that support um, for us personally it was a game changer it was a wonderful, wonderful experience. All parents should have it. And yeah, use your use your support network and, t- and make but take um, and make time if you are in a you do have a partner. Make time for each other as well. Give positive feedback and catch them doing some amazing things because it's great to hear that. That's so lovely. Thank you so much for joining me today. I'd like to thank my guest today, Ian. 
If you enjoyed this podcast, please leave us a five-star review and share it with your friends. Follow us on Twitter at LGBT Adopt Foster and on Facebook, search New Family Social, all one word. Visit our website at newfamilysocial.org.uk. Adoption, Fostering and Tea is produced by New Family Social. The presenter was me, Tor Doherty, with music from Matt Doherty. The producer was John Jenkins. We'll be back next week with more guests and more tea. Thank you for listening to this special episode of Adoption, Fostering and Tea, recorded as part of National Adoption Week. Find out more at www.ucanadopt.co.uk.